Bitcoin teaches you how to be more inclusive, more empathetic, more collaborative, more cooperative, um, more long-term thinking, more hopeful, more optimistic. And, you know, I think we all kind of would want to strive to be, you know, those qualities, just be a good human. Welcome to another episode of Light with Bitcoin, where we delve into the human side of Bitcoin by focusing on Bitcoiners' personal transformations and their life stories. I'm your host, Vivian Chang. Thanks for tuning in. Today, who will be joining us is Ella Huff. Ella is a third-year university student at Cornell, a Generation Z Bitcoiner, the project lead at Generation Bitcoin, and the blogger behind SaaS Chats. Welcome, Ella. Thanks so much for having me, Vivian. So let's start from your own story. Would you tell us a little bit more about yourself, the life story leading to you discover Bitcoin? My name is Ella Huff. I am a junior at Cornell where I'm studying cognitive science, which is basically how do humans think, process information. Um, but I'm a Bitcoiner, so I spend a ton of time on Bitcoin outside of school. I am, as you mentioned, the project lead at Generation Bitcoin, um, which is focusing on how do we help Gen Z learn about and then eventually get involved in the Bitcoin ecosystem. And then I have started a blog called Sats Chats. Um, kind of short posts um, on Bitcoin topics make it really easy for Gen Z to understand. I first heard of Bitcoin in um, 2020. Um, it was my senior year of high school. And I just learned about it through the number go up perspective. Um, I was taking a class just called blockchain to fill a requirement in my high school. And so they, they presented Bitcoin, all number go up and kind of went over my head. It really didn't, I didn't see the pain point. I didn't have any kind of emotional tie to it. Um, but I kind of kept learning. I thought it was interesting. And then the following summer, I went to the Oslo Freedom Forum. And that is when I learned about Freedom Go Up. And that, I think, that is when I say I discovered Bitcoin. So I learned about it senior year of high school. A year later, I really started to discover it. Um, and now falling down the rabbit hole, it's, it's inevitable to not see kind of knowledge go up, just how much knowledge Bitcoin gives you and makes you question everything around you. Um, so number go up, freedom go up, knowledge go up. It's kind of the kind of the path. I'm curious to see yeah. at this point in time, if there's a blockchain course in a high school, how how was the structure? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so so for some context, I was fulfilling a technology innovation and entrepreneurship certificate. And so to get that, you had to take courses in different areas that fell under that umbrella. Um, and so it was very focused kind of like blockchain just honestly, blockchain, um, as a technology, how could it be used in like supply chains? Um, we did projects on that, or how can blockchain be used for like the sustainable development goals? Um, and then now in college, it's only taught because of the club that I am in. We teach a course that talks about Bitcoin, talks about blockchain. Um, so I'd say education is not not widely distributed. We yeah. see parents trying to orange pill their kids all the time and oftentimes have, have a hard time. In the Freedom Forum, Like, what did you see exactly? What was your uh, defining moment where you re realized this is something that you can get involved in? Because when I was growing up, so my mom has a very good phrase that she kind of wants to be a parent that is a swim coach, not a lifeguard. And so she's not just going to come in, like hop in and save me. She's going to teach me how to swim on my own and kind of make my own way and survive. Um, and so I, I've noticed a lot of 
parents maybe don't want to talk to their kids about money or they kind of feel like maybe they're protecting them or just making sure that they don't have to worry about it. You know, just focus on school, just focus on your own responsibilities. But financial education is not taught in schools. So it, it is kind of up to parents. I think, and obviously I'm not a parent, but I've learned everything I know about money from my parents. Um, so I think it, it is important for parents to have those conversations with their kids and really um, introduce these topics. So now um, for Oslo, I just, I just didn't know so, so much. Um, you know, before Bitcoin, I, I had no sense of money, of energy, of how the world worked, of what was happening outside of my, you know, little area, my bubble. And so, you know, when we went to Oslo, it, it was just, there's just so much that I learned. I just, it's hard to exactly describe in words, but it kind of just opens up your, um, your space of possibilities on what is happening in the world. So to hear the stories of, um, you know, a woman lawyer in Tanzania and how she's using Bitcoin to be able to continue to fund her practices, um, what's happening in Burma, Myanmar, there's just so, so much that I, I didn't even think to question or know, um, and to, to see that, I was very grateful for and to hear those stories. From the money aspect and then from other personal value aspect, do you, yeah. do you remember there's any thing that have stuck with you that your parents have said that have guided you over the years and later on helped you make it easier for you to understand Bitcoin? Um, so I, I have to, where my mind goes first um, my mom, we have this kind of shared note on our phones that she started writing a long, long time ago and then moved it over and shared it with me. But it's kind of like little just tidbits or nuggets of wisdom she would maybe think of and want to make sure I always knew. Um, so one of them on there is just like consider pre-tax dollars before making a purchase. Like consider how much it actually, how much you actually have to work in order to buy what you want or just thinking about how much it actually costs to live. Um, We've had these conversations for a long time when I was thinking about what do I want to study in college? You know, how am I going to support myself once I graduate? Um, you know, because once I graduate, they've they've done their part. They've educated me. Now it's time for me to take care of myself. Um, so really just being realistic about the world we live in and, you know, how do you support yourself? So just having those conversations early on are really helpful. Interesting. So because you have that... Um requirement in the back of your mind that after college, this is the time to kind of become real, really become an adult and take the responsibility of personal finance. So is that why the the concept of saving be, became less foreign, even if you're still in college? Maybe not less foreign, but just, so I think a, a big problem or not maybe problem per se, but difficulty or hurdle when you talk about Bitcoin with Gen Z is they've just never encountered these topics before, or they just didn't even know these pain points really existed, or they didn't know what questions to ask yet. And so, you know, if no one had the conversation with me about you know, how much the dollar <laughs> loses its value or to think about saving, um, I just wouldn't have known. Um, so, you know, of course, when I was little, I had an allowance and I was so excited when I finally like turned 13, I think it was, and I could open up a bank account and get a debit card. Um, and so it started then saving so that I could save up to buy what I really wanted. But now I think it's not saving up necessarily to buy what I want, but to live the type of life that I want. 
like that's one of the greatest things Bitcoin gives you is that it allows you kind of the power back to, you know, use your time how you wish to use it. Time is finite like Bitcoin. And, you know, now it's not so much what, you know, item can I go buy because I've saved my allowance, but I can have time to think, I can travel, I can, you know, just do what makes me happy. And that's something that I think all of Gen Z is really craving and wanting. Um, and maybe is more present after COVID because before I think, you know, it wasn't normal to say, okay, I have, um, you know, 30 minutes for lunch and I'm home. So I'm going to go on a walk or just, you know, I can like learn from anywhere. Maybe I'll be a digital nomad and travel and work. Just, I think we're going through a big shift. Um, and so I think that will resonate with Gen Z also. Throughout your journey being orange pilled, I heard that your, your mom was also part of it. Yeah. So I'll say she, t- she took the lead. Um, we both kind of were on this learning journey at the same time, but she definitely fell down the rabbit hole before me. Um, she was kind of looking into blockchain. Um, well, both of us, you know, how do we buy blockchain? Um, you see, you can't really buy blockchain. Um, we just, you know, from the very beginning, really had no idea what this was. Um, you know, I owned Cardano and Ethereum and Bitcoin. And just, I just had no sense. Um, but then you just keep learning, keep putting in your hours, your proof of work, and then you kind of fall down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. But I'll say she definitely fell first. Um, and, you know, it was just fun to talk about with her and, you know, share thoughts on whatever podcast or, um, you know, such. In hindsight, what was it like to learn about Bitcoin as a parent? Um, I don't think it was much different than learning about anything else, maybe, because I think I've learned, you know, so much of what is important from my parents. Like, like I mentioned, they taught me about money. They taught me, you know, how to be a good human. Um, so it felt natural just, you know, to learn about something with her, like anything else. Um, and I'm very grateful too, that I've kind of always had that type of relationship with my parents. Cause as I mentioned, I, I don't think that maybe that's super common to just have mm-hmm. these very, um, I don't know if raw is the right word, but real conversations about stuff that is happening. In at first, when you learned it at the blockchain course, it was more, it was about number go up. Um, and then later on you went to the freedom, um, forum. So how has your perception of Bitcoin evolved over time? For your audience, if they're not familiar with Bitcoin, the network, so capital B Bitcoin, the network versus lowercase b, um, Bitcoin, the currency. And I wish there was a way that you could learn about Bitcoin, the network first. I think everyone kind of learns about lowercase b Bitcoin, the currency first, which maybe is just the path that it has to go on. Um, but when I, when I was able to get off of just Bitcoin as money and Bitcoin more just so I'm of the mindset Bitcoin can apply to every single discipline out there. Any topic, there's a tie to Bitcoin. Um, and when you see the power in Bitcoin as the network, um, that is that was really kind of transformational for me. Um, and I think just in my my own life, Bitcoin has so you know I don't worship Bitcoin. I'll preface that I don't want it to come across as that, but um, Bitcoin's centering in a way. It really gives me purpose about where I'm, you know, I'm waking up each day. You know, why am I waking up? Kind of what what am I doing for someone else? Bitcoin kind of fills that, you know, this purpose in life, um, you know, that I'm putting my energy to work in a good place. Um, 
and actually, this is a little bit of a tangent, but there's a really good TED talk um, by Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote the super famous book and now movie, um, Eat, Pray, Love. And in it, she kind of talked about how after Eat, Pray, Love was published and it received, you know, so much kind of press and fame, she didn't feel so happy. Like when you experience really high periods of success and also really low lows, she was like, you need to find what your center is, like what brings you back to being. And so for me now, like just knowing about Bitcoin and all that it entails, it's it's centering in the sense that if I feel down or if I feel super happy, like I can come back to Bitcoin and like feel focused and that I have purpose and that I'm, I'm using my time wisely. And why do you think Bitcoin has the saying? Because this is what we see for pretty much all Bitcoiners, if they are in the space long enough, their whole life start to kind of shift around it. One reason or another, not, so it's, it's going to, it, it serves beyond a financial decision. It serves beyond a investment choice, but it branch into all aspects in their life. Name it like diet, um, how they manage time, how they regulate their future. Like, do they include family yeah. and, uh, a marriage and kids in their in their blueprint of life like so many things get shift and this is one aspect that people who are not yet bitcoiners don't understand because they simply don't get it like why this is you're investing your money into it and that's cool but there's so many other options stock options there are, you know other cryptocurrencies why bitcoin it's all uh different in that sense that triggers changes in all aspects of your life so what do you think at such a young age getting exposed to Bitcoin and becoming a Bitcoiner um, from your perspective, why Bitcoin has this power and energy to um, trigger such changes among Bitcoiners? Yeah, I think it's a value alignment. Um, and I think the first time we have some money, some you know vessel that we can, that has the values that maybe we want to embody on our best days. So Bitcoin teaches you how to be more inclusive, more empathetic, more collaborative, more cooperative, um, more long-term thinking, more hopeful, more optimistic. And, you know, I think we all kind of would want to strive to be, you know, those qualities, just be a good human every day. And a lot of times, everything about our current, I guess, just financial system, it's very exclusive. It's not hopeful. There's a lot of just negative kind of emotion in it. And so Bitcoin is, is just total mind, mind, mindset shift. Um, and that it's like, you're not escaping that. I think if you're, if you kind of fall down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, it just kind of gets embedded. Um, and it's very fair. You know, you, you do your proof of work, you, you know, you put in the time to understand it, to contribute. Um, and it's kind of rewarding in that, like it's an equalizer. There's no gaming the system. There's no cheating or lying. It's just, you know, this is, this is what it is. So I think the, but the long-term thinking is, is kind of the big one that then leads you to be more, you know, cooperative, collaborative, um, value, liberty, peace, um, empathy. At this point, you've been into it for three, four years. What is Bitcoin to you? I think Bitcoin to me is, it's such a tough question because it's now the more you dive down the rabbit hole, you, you just start to see all the different areas. But I will say that Bitcoin, the network, um, you know, not just the currency, as I mentioned earlier, it, it's really purpose. It's, it's hope. It's kind of, you know, centering. Um, 
I think it's very easy in life to maybe go in a spiral of worrying about this or worrying about that, um, or what am I going to do? But I think Bitcoin, again, it just brings you back in. Um, you know, this is what matters. Um, so yeah, purpose. I think if I had to say one word, um, it's purpose. I'm waking up, I'm going to work on Bitcoin. And it's kind of a way to talk to people that I don't know, maybe can't speak their language, maybe have never met, but kind of lifting up everyone out there kind of a collective effort. Would you say that Bitcoin is the purpose or Bitcoin because of what you've learned with Bitcoin and the value that comes with it gives you a sense of purpose, but then the purpose is not necessarily Bitcoin. Which one is it? The purpose is not necessarily Bitcoin, I think. So at the end of the day, every human is on this earth to just be a good human, contribute positively to the world, solve ideally we work together to solve hard problems that move our world forward you know that is how do we just keep moving forward in the world in a positive way um and so the purpose is not to make a hyper bitcoinized world it's not just about bitcoin the money i think but it's really like how are we going to be able to work together as a world how are we going to be able to protect human rights um to make sure each person has equitable opportunities, equitable access to energy. All 8 billion people of us, we all have a different idea of what is good or bad, moral or immoral. We all have different desires. But the goal, I think, is that all of us can wake up every morning, live the life we want to live, pursue what we want to pursue, um, you know, have the relationships we want to have, um, you know, live out our own purpose, do what we think is good or moral. Um, and Bitcoin, it just lets you do that in a way that, you know, can protect human rights, protect your just your desire to do what brings you joy. Um, so it's not all about like just Bitcoin, but it's about like, what is the bigger picture? How do we as a world just live in a world that we want to live in? Um, and so I, I think Bitcoin is, is a catalyst. It, it's not it's not the final goal. Um, but it, it's the best catalyst that we have. And I think many of the places it will take us are, are unknown, but because its values are well aligned, I think we'll ultimately get to a, a very good place. I love how you approach Bitcoin in such a holistic view, because like personally, I struggle with the Bitcoin community sometimes because I feel like some of my values don't necessarily align with the consensus or the norms on Bitcoin Twitter. And for that reason, I often feel not often, but I would sometimes feel inadequate and I would question myself, like, am I doing something wrong here? Is it... Do I have to see this way if I'm a Bitcoiner or, or what's, what's the alternative? And I would see people say Bitcoin fixes this. And in a lot of cases, Bitcoin does fix this, um, different issues. I 100% agree with you that Bitcoin is not the destination. It's rather a beginning. It's rather the starting point for us to reclaim our agency uh, reclaim our sovereignty and the first steps for us to become a sovereign individual to the point that we then go pursue things in life that are important for us. And I hate to see when people think that hyper, hyper Bitcoinization is the end, like it's not the end. It's just, it's nice to think that this is a destination. And once we rush to the finishing line, then everything will magically solve. But I tend to think that we, this is just the beginning. We now are properly equipped with um, solid money, sound money 
to pursue these things. Yeah, we need more diversity in in Bitcoin, and we need more different perspectives to bounce off each other、um, to the point that we each of us become the best version of ourselves through the lens of Bitcoin.、Right? Yeah, yeah, and I really like how you use the word agency because so money is not everything, but it is at the center of. A lot, pretty much everything, and I think Bitcoin. You're exactly right. It gives everyone back their own agency to have a voice, to have an opinion, to really question what's out there. And as we know, you know, Bitcoin. I think is the best foundation layer that we have. It is the starting line. It's it's the best foundation, and then we can go and you know continue to build and, and keep going. So it's the starting line. I think it's it's our first true. Starting line that will be effective, but it, it's not the finish. And you're now a university student studying at Cornell. I interviewed Jimmy Son a few weeks ago, and he was saying how、uh, the college education has been largely debased. the The amount of money and effort you put into university degrees are questionable, especially. And so I wanted to ask you, especially among these Ivy League schools,、um, have you noticed them taking initiatives around Bitcoin? College education. It, like we just talked about, starting and finish lines. Your college education is not the finish line. It's also a starting line. There's supposed to be some benefit, some feature to it. So it is completely okay, especially for Gen Z, if they decide to not go to college or if they, you know, want to do something else. College is a tool. It shouldn't be just like the auto norm. If it's if it's not a tool that serves you, then you know, <laughs> buy Bitcoin. Don't don't waste the money on college.、Um, so. Cornell is very blockchain focused. I think many universities are are blockchain centered, and Cornell especially Avalanche, one of kind of very high up there now. I guess、um, blockchains currencies was founded here. Coindesk ranked Cornell as the number two university to study blockchain in the U.S. and number five in the world. So they must have taken the lead on the front of promoting the use of. Um, blockchain. I'm curious when they promote the use of blockchain, like what do they actually include in the the structure, either the structure of the course or the body of whatever they're promoting? How are they structuring their endorsement? CoinDesk ranked Cornell,、um, not really the university, but the Cornell Blockchain Club,、um, which I am a part of. And so this was started, I think, 2017, and essentially it was a group of students got together. Um, realized, hey, the university is not talking about blockchain. There is no formal education on blockchain, and so that is how the club started. And since now, we teach two courses on blockchain,、um, and so it's kind of called Intro to Blockchain. And I teach some of these lessons. I teach the Bitcoin ones because、um, obviously I'm a Bitcoiner. Try to spread, try to orange belt people.、Um, But it, it's not that the university really doesn't have a stance on it. It's it's much more student driven, student led, and they do. Bitcoin is not a large focus. I'm working to make it a much larger focus,、um, but that's not really in the club. They're much more focused on crypto, smart contract development,、um, altcoins,、um, and I I have though written. A、um, couple times to the university, I proposed a Bitcoin major.、Um, I've written a letter to the president, kind of explaining why I think it would make sense for Cornell to look at Bitcoin.、Um, but it, it's much more student driven. It's really not from the university. It's also about touch points because Bitcoin it's it's such a complex、um, subject that literally touches everything. And if we recall our 
journey, our own journey of becoming Bitcoiner, then we recall different touch points where we first heard of it and ignored it and then yeah. heard about it again and ignored yeah. even further. And then to the point where suddenly something about it clicked and then we yeah. started looking into it and then the rabbit hole starts. So what you're doing is definitely very, very powerful and impactful in terms of planting seeds here and there and then see see what happens. And this is this is what I feel like is over underrated in life in general is to is the mindset of planting seeds and this also include not expecting anything necessarily to sprout mm -hmm. and you just need the mindset to keep planting seeds um keep putting good words yeah. good works out there and that's proof of work right yes um, yeah keep putting good work out yeah. there and just trust the process and trust exactly. the trust the process that um Trust the process, trust the nature, because if you plant seeds, some's going to sprout. Yes. Um, you don't know which, you don't know when, yeah. but when it does, then all you need to do is go take care of the ones that do and don't yeah. cry over the ones that, that <laughs> yeah. don't or cry over the effort that you put into planting all these seeds, because this is yeah. how, how life works. Exactly. And by becoming Bitcoiners, we kind of learn that along the way. So yeah. I praise you in what you're doing. And I <laughs> think you. that's super important to bring um higher education yeah. into the Bitcoin ecosystem, but because they're so close to the next generation, they're so close to the new generation where who will be even more attuned to technology, who will be um needing this technology throughout their life that they just yeah. don't know it yet. So definitely there's yeah. a lot of value in what you're doing. And uh, you said um I heard that you had an interesting encounter with Michael Saylor too on the topic. <laughs> Creating a core of Bitcoin. So would you share that story? Yes, yes, I will. And I just want to make one quick point on something you said previously. A lot of students, you know, they, they know they're supposed to maybe think they're supposed to go to college, but they don't really know what to study. And so they kind of look to higher education to tell them, you know, what should I study? What is valuable? But they're not seeing Bitcoin reflected back at them. So my door is going to continue to be open anytime they're ready to talk about Bitcoin. You know, I'm here. Um, but yes, yeah, so last year at Pacific Bitcoin, it was it was very surreal how this all happened. Um, but I went backstage um, with my mom um, and I was talking to Brandon Quidham and Eric Kaysen. Um, They had a panel that they were about to go on and somehow got on to talking with them about property rights and Bitcoin and how it kind of fulfills the best property rights we have. Um, so we're all talking. Um, and then I can't exactly remember how everything all came about, but eventually Michael Saylor just kind of came out of a room and just walked up. Um, and then Robert Breedlove um, and Justin um, Rizvani, I think is his last name, um, and Terrence Yang from SWAN. We were kind of all in a group and my mom um, and then Brandon and Eric uh, had to go do their panel. Um, and by the time they came back, they finished. So I don't know, 30, 45 minutes later, we were all still in a circle, all still talking. Um, and I will say it's pretty much Michael Saylor just talking and you just wishing that you could be a sponge and that you're um, recorder was on, so you could just kind of take in all the information. But we were talking about the independent major that I had proposed to Cornell, and kind of the the, the TLDR, the the Spark Notes of it, was to talk about 
Bitcoin as monetary engineering, talk about um, kind of it from the engineering lens, because with something like Bitcoin, where, and this is why I almost can't blame the universities for not getting it. There's so much misinformation out there. Um, and I, I think we're starting to see a shift. Um, but talk about it from a lens where they really can't poke holes in it. So like engineering is very um, kind of, I don't know the quite best word to it, but it's either right or wrong. Like it works or it doesn't. Um, and he was talking about like aeronautical engineering and how originally that was not accepted in universities and just the progression. Um, and so he, his recommendation was to go through, get Bitcoin into universities through the College of Engineering. Um, unfortunately, I am not in the College of Engineering. And so my independent major would have to go through the College of Arts and Sciences. Um, but it, it was such a such a good conversation that I'm very, very grateful um, to have happened and very, very surreal that it did. It's such an interesting perspective because it almost seems like he's proposing, he's suggesting that to add Bitcoin into the university education system, you want to start with something that's more defined, that's less mm -hmm. um, less wishy-washy per se, like yeah. less more sciencey, mm -hmm. and that's gonna be easier because because it because Bitcoin then would be introduced as a technology mm -hmm. and as um, instead yeah. of having all of the open-ended questions. Yeah. Yeah. And you no, know, it was really valuable to have that conversation because so I talked to professors kind of in the engineering school, maybe they were cross-listed or I'd had their class and they basically all said, no, blockchain is the true innovation, not Bitcoin. Um, and I think it's because so blockchain and like being energy conscious or sustainability, I think are like the cool buzzwords maybe at the moment. And so now I've, I've sort of shifted my proposal or um, kind of what I'm going to eventually pursue. I don't think it'll be an independent major, probably an honors thesis now, but to talk more about the energy side of Bitcoin, um, because I think it's in energy in general, I think is incredibly misunderstood. Not to say that I am at all an expert, but I'm, I'm learning um, and I'm reading, but Cornell is very... Um, Kind of, we're in like the middle of nowhere, like the environments all around it. It's a very kind of climate focused school. Um, just yesterday, I got an email like, so like Cornell is on fire. We have to save the planet climate. Um, it's just a topic that's on people's minds. And now we're starting to see so many reports come out about the benefits of Bitcoin mining and its energy usage. Um, and so th that I'm not in the College of Engineering, but this is kind of hard facts that I could talk about that they can't debate against. But I think for my generation, we've grown up with technology. So I think for that reason, maybe we are more attuned to technology, um, you know, just like using Venmo or your QR codes or not actually having physical paper money. It's not like a new concept that we have to learn. It's it's more second nature, I would say. Um, and I think we're very in tuned with ideas of privacy or how much data is being used um, because of social media. And we've all seen like the social dilemma documentary. Um, so I think a, a lot of what Bitcoin stands for and tries to help 
with is they're not really new concepts to Gen Z. Um, it's just like we were saying earlier, no one tells you what is money or financial. It's just being there to introduce the topics. I mean, that's what I found with my friends. It's it's not some big convincing hurdle that I have to encounter. It's just just starting the conversation is, is really the hardest part. You're the project lead at Generation Bitcoin. Um, would you share more about the organization and your work with them? First, I want to shout out and highlight the co-founders. Um, so I, I did not found Generation Bitcoin. Um, it was founded by Arsh Malu, uh, Mishana Misra, and Adam Domingo, and they're all incredible. Um, Arsh works at HRF. Um, Autumn does super amazing things with kind of the UI UX implementation of Bitcoin. Um, Ashana is the youngest Bitcoin core developer. <laughs> so they're all superstars. Um, so they started it a couple of years ago. And I joined about a year ago. But the mission of Generation Bitcoin is essentially two part. Um, how do you educate? Generation um, Z and about Bitcoin. And then the second half is really integrate them into the ecosystem. So teach them, but then also really uplift them and support them to participate and use the knowledge and build and, you know, feel like they have value and a place in Bitcoin. Um, because Gen Z is really the future of Bitcoin. Um, and Bitcoin is hopeful. And if you're in Gen Z and you're kind of seeing all the turmoil developing around the world, you know, you can see Bitcoin is an answer. It's hope. Um, so that, that's it's really a two-part goal um, that Generation Bitcoin works on. Do you see any unique misconceptions around Bitcoin among Gen Z? And this is kind of why I titled my blog Sats Chats. Um, so many people think that you have to buy the entire Bitcoin. Um, and or that there's even 21 million of them, kind of like the very <laughs> basic concepts. Um, because so Gen Z primarily, we are either have never worked or are just starting to work. So we don't have some nest egg that we can go and invest in. So one, we've never really heard about money. Two, we've never actually really worked. And three, we've never really thought about saving or when we should start saving or how that all works. Um, so that kind of primes maybe a lot of misconceptions. And so they see the price of Bitcoin is $30,000, whatever it is. And then they see the price of some random coin is five cents. Um, they're like, oh, this might seem fun, low risk. Let me buy that. Um, so Sats Chats is emphasizing that you can buy, that there's a hundred million Satoshis in a Bitcoin, that you can buy, you know, a penny's worth of Bitcoin, whatever you have. Um, so I'd say that's a very big misconception. Um, and then this is not unique to Gen Z, but the energy narrative. Um, I, so we have, um, I'm head of recruitment at Cornell Blockchain, um, really focused kind of on education and talking about Bitcoin. And we just wrapped up the process. And so I read many, many applications and so many people wrote about how great proof of stake is because it doesn't use energy. And so that's another huge <laughs> misconception. Um, so I think it's it's energy and it's the SATs, I'd say, are the top two. Interesting. Um, I didn't know that about the energy aspect among Gen Z and especially for it to use as an argument to promote proof of stake. That's like... First time we heard about it, but it's oh yeah, it's a huge argument to promote proof of stake. Kind of here, it's like oh, um, 
yeah, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head someone's exact words, but it was basically like this is this is such a huge win for proof of stake, and this is why I think you know Ethereum's going to be the, the leading blockchain. It's, um, so yeah, it's it's very present. From the people who are interested in blockchain in general in your circle, do you see more of a lean towards altcoin or or the technology in general than than Bitcoin? I guess so. Hey, yes, a hundred percent, and I, and I really can't. I don't want to assign any like blame for that. You know, Bitcoin has no marketing department. I do think Gen Z will kind of be the best marketing department that Bitcoin could have. Um, crypto does have a huge marketing department. And I think any new topic, um, maybe if you can participate in it faster or try it out, um, you're more likely to use it or want it. Um, and so, for instance, a lot of people in the kind of university clubs are studying like CS um, and math or so they really like coding or problem solving. And so or gaming even um, so they're consulting, like the ability to create your own smart contract or kind of just play around or, you know, trade amongst them. Maybe it's just more enticing than Bitcoin initially because it Bitcoin has no marketing department. There's no one really talking about actually how much is going on in Bitcoin and all the places they could contribute. Um, you know, I had someone tell me the other day, like, oh, I didn't think anything actually happened in Bitcoin. Like, you're going to a conference, but but why? What do you talk about? Like, nothing, no, there's nothing going on. Um, and so, yeah, people definitely lean towards them. Um, and then I also think right now, there's kind of a high barrier to perhaps understanding Bitcoin um, if you haven't had a pain point. If you have a pain point, you, you see the need faster because we all react to emotion. So if you don't have that, just like I did, like for a year, I, I didn't see the point of Bitcoin. Um, it's harder. And so I wish there was also a way we could figure out how just like every person uses money but maybe doesn't really understand it. Like how do we get people um, into Bitcoin also? Because I recently talked to someone who works in Web3. He works with a lot of Ethereum people. And what he said is that for him, it's not black and white. And he his argument was a lot of people in Ethereum, they believe in decentralization too. They also believe in um, open source and because of the how Ethereum ecosystem is set up, allow people to build upon that ecosystem. So a lot of builders naturally gravitate towards that ecosystem because there's so much flexibility for them to play around with things. And there's more like little gimmicks here and there to make it fun and, and more entertaining. And do you think when trying to orange peeling Gen Z, would you take any different approaches comparing to orange peeling older generations to make it effective? It's every single person needs to be orange peeled in a different way. Um, so I don't know if you've ever heard of the concept of the communication iceberg. Um, but essentially, or you're smiling, so I think maybe you have. Um, but essentially, there's so much which is in a conversation of meaning that gets lost, but we have to pull on, you know, past experiences we've had. So if I'm talking to a friend who I've known for a really long time, and I don't know, there's some aspect of Bitcoin that I think they would be interested in. Um, like, I don't know, maybe they travel all the time, and they're 
like so tired of having to change currency. I don't know. I'm making this up off my head, but like there's just different angles that you can talk to someone about Bitcoin. And that's somewhat of the harder problem because once you orange pill someone, like they're set. So I think like maybe cryptos, like it's short term, easy to get them. Um, but Bitcoin, like it's long term and get them sounds so terrible, but it's more sustaining. Um, I think so. So it's, it's a process. It might take more time, but but it's worth it. I'll challenge you on this. Well, I'll give you a scenario. So if it's a real scenario because this is what we're seeing today. Yeah, yeah. Like there are two people. You have a group of people who are already into cryptocurrency in general. Like they're into blockchain, altcoin, NFTs. Say they're they're interested in the technology or the use cases that evolved through blockchain. And then you have another group of people who just have very, very little idea of what blockchain is about, and nor did they care much, and they don't own any cryptocurrencies. Among these two groups, and from your experience and your study, which group do you think is easier to get orange-pilled? It's hard because there's trade-offs. So you have, okay, for instance, so you have the group that's already in crypto. That means they've kind of self-selected into selecting out of the norm. So they've already, they're already on the right path. So they're curious. That's really good. So like myself, I didn't just go from nothing to Bitcoiner. I, I think it's a healthy learning journey to go through the process. Um, but then if you think about different levels, so let's just say Bitcoin's maybe in the middle and crypto, maybe that's, I don't know if this is exactly correct, but let's just say it's like one layer up top. You're kind of working them off of that and back to Bitcoin. Um, and then let's say you have the group that they don't know anything. Maybe they're like below Bitcoin. Your your level that you're starting at is different. So instead of like really working them off like some uh, something further down the line, like you have fiat, you have Bitcoin and crypto, you're kind of just you can you're at almost more of a base layer. Like okay, we have this system, and then here is just like a, the best solution alternative. So you're. And so, but I also, I don't want it to come across that those people aren't curious. Um, again, maybe they just, maybe they just haven't thought to question because there's so much every day that consumes our time and energy and what we should think be thinking about and doing. And so I hate to say that it's like every person's different, but there's pros and cons to every, every scenario. And you just have to find what they're curious about and pull it out of them and kind of connect it with Bitcoin and give them ownership over their own Bitcoin journey because everyone has a different one. So you're just, you're just there to kind of like nudge in the right direction, maybe. And for the audience who are of this show, who are parents of Gen Z, um, what would you recommend for them to orange pill their kids? Yes. Yeah, so, okay. I'm going to refer to Scott and Tali Lindberg. Um, they have created a really cool game called Huddle Up. Um, and so I think like just talk to your kids about, you know, I don't know, taxes, money, just life as you do as an adult. It's I think it's never too um, early or even too late to talk about these conversations, but just like have the conversations, just kind of come together and learn as a family. Um, and it's it takes time. It's not. You know, you don't need to think like, oh, I don't get it instantly or I've been at this so long and I still don't really get it. Like, that's totally OK. Like, we're so early. Um, just like, I don't know, take the first step. <laughs> um, but for a tangible what to do, um, 
they, I think it's called Free Market Kids, maybe is the website where you can buy the game. But that's just a really fun way to just learn about Bitcoin for the first time. And as a family, that might just be something fun to do. Yeah, I'll add on that because um, there's there's a few things that I have stuck with me from learning about communication in general and how communication works. And the fundamental of it is common ground. So it's so basically it's communication is not possible or, or effective communication is not possible when the two parties don't even have a common ground. So the first step for any successful communication is always to find some sort of common ground that you can either it's a common goal or it's a common pain point or anything common and how you can build upon this and to have it evolve for something for the both of the parties so i guess to add on to that is to for, for parents to try to orange build their gen z kids is to first find common grounds of um you and your kids and um, think about what do you what do you both like what do you both dislike and combined with um, Ella's approach of talking about these real life issues like an adult because as parents you are there to help your your children um, self-launch them into the society so that they can take care of themselves and become a sovereign individual um, and another thing I would say is lead by example because Oftentimes, kids are kids can have a large, big ego too, and everything. If their parents, everything their parents are doing, they automatically deem as not cool. So that's possible too, at a certain age. Um, but it doesn't mean that they don't listen. It doesn't mean that they don't observe. So by leading and set a good example and becoming a sovereign individual, a sovereign parent would eventually set your kid up for success and help them become a Bitcoiner, even if you don't actively teach them about it or tell them about it. Um, I think leading by example is definitely one of the things that can um, help children into their life journey um, a lot better. And we've connected um, in the past and you shared you've spent some time in China just before COVID. Um, how did that happen? Yes. So I did a program called School Year Abroad. And this program, um, it operates in four countries. So there's China, France, Italy, and Spain. And it's for your junior year of high school. I think some some sophomores, some seniors did it too. And you can go for a semester or a year. Um, but I chose to do a year in China. And so I, I think I, I briefly mentioned the note that my mom has written for me, um, of kind of like little nuggets of wisdom. And one of them is, you know, if something is scary, if it's a little outside the norm, um, if you just feel a little uncertain about it, like go do it. <laughs> um, and so I did not speak a word of Chinese. Um, I had taken French for a very long time and I was like, you know what? I love the school I'm currently at, but I have this opportunity to go somewhere, um, that maybe is much harder to just go by myself considering I don't speak the language. And it's also not kind of like maybe a romance language that I could maybe like pick out some words. It's all characters. Um, so I was like, you know what? I feel it's also another one saying I have the power of disorientation. So I was like, you know what? This is kind of checking all the boxes. I feel like this is a little outside the norm. I, I definitely will feel disoriented. Um, 
it scares me a little. So I'm going to go do it because I'm going to be able to do it in a place where I have amazing teachers, a host family, um, other students. Like it kind of be the most protected yet um, unprotected bubble that I could have. And so I went, I packed a suitcase um, and I moved to China for a year until COVID broke out and we all had to go home. Um, but I lived with the most incredible host family. Um, I had two younger host siblings, um, both sets of grandparents um, kind of lived in the house with us. Um, I went to a Chinese high school. I got to wear the uniform. Um, it, it was just, the, it was the most incredible experience. <laughs> It's such a great approach in life where you're always reaching for the far-fetched options. And because what you're doing is you're pushing yourself out of your comfort zone and trying something that's completely seem odd or seem um, far-fetched. And then later on, discover this new aspect of yourself that you didn't know about. Um, and then to build upon that, it's definitely the one of the most incredible feeling that I can imagine. And what are some of the major culture shocks you've experienced there? I'm sure there's quite some. Yeah, so before I went, everyone kind of, not everyone close to me, but many people close to me would say, you know, why are you doing this? You know, it's going to be so different. Why are you going all of that way? Um, but my mindset was, look, like it's, it's asleep and a couple movies away. Like that's how long the flight is. Um, and I was like, you know what? I don't know what to expect, but I'm not going to be scared of something that I can't identify. Um, you know, I'm going to go, if it doesn't work out. If it's a disaster, then I could come home. Um, but I'm going to go. I'll say <laughs> the biggest culture shock, and this is like definitely a warning for everyone. If, if you go to China, um, the crosswalks, even if it says like the little person that comes up on the sign that says you can walk, like keep your eyes open because cars and bikes will still come at you from all different directions. It's kind of like a suggest red lights seem to have been more of a suggestion <laughs> that not everyone took. Like I've had it. One of my friends got hit by a car, not like she was okay, but yeah. So that was a little bit of a culture shock. It, you know, not everyone stops at the stoplight. Um, and I don't know if you can really call this a culture shock, but when I got there, my host family was playing country music and I'm from Texas. So it's like, I was working in my room and I, I had headphones in and I was like, this is not the song I'm currently listening to, but I know that song. And so, you know, at the end of the day, like, we're all human. We all, you know, have our family, the people that we love and, you know, want to support and bring us joy. Um, and, you know, we all, my host sister would like, run to the door when my host dad got home, just like I would run to the door when my dad got home. Like at the end of the day, humans all operate in the same way. We all, you know, have the same kind of personal goals. And so everyone told me it was going to be so different, but you know, on every level, sure. There's some cultural differences. Like I used to drink cold water and they only drink warm water, but you know, it's, it wasn't, It just, I think people think that distance equals difference, but that's so not true. Like people kind of use distance as a way to maybe divide. Um, and maybe that's something that's so great not to bring Bitcoin back in, but Bitcoin, like it's a way to connect people all over the world in a way that's collaborative, you know, with the furthest distances imaginable. And going to China, like 
it, yeah, it's just, I don't know why people we think that live in a different culture, speak a different language or live further away from us have to be so different and divisive. It's like a mindset of competition under a more fiat standard, whereas Bitcoin, it's just a mindset of cooperation and collaboration. Mm -hmm. That goes back to the point of communication, right? Because I'm from China. I grew up um, born and raised in Beijing and I spent my entire adulthood in North America and Europe. And what I realized is that I, I get it. Like I get it. And people, and back to the communication aspect of it is that if you don't share the same culture and if you don't speak the same language, then it's very, very hard to find the common ground in the first place. And it's very rare for many people to have a face-to-face sit sit down and have a genuine conversation with people that are significantly different from them and to go go for the go for the lines of conversation to actually get to know someone enough to find the common ground in the first place and to realize that we're not all that different um so it i love this aspect of bitcoin too is because we're all in this together this is not just in the U.S., not just in North America or Latin America or everywhere. It's everybody, it's basically everybody's option. And if you choose to have it become, and for this reason, we already as Bitcoiners share a lot of things um, and we can build upon us the foundational, very foundational and solid um, common ground to help us guide get past those um, differences in cost by distance and different culture and languages. So this is another reason why um, I love Bitcoin too. And did you recall some of the stereotypes about China before you went and later you realize it's not true? Um, yeah, I think just largely people stereotype China so closely with the government and just kind of media um, or, you know, censorship and kind of big brother always watching people so closely identified maybe like Chinese culture with the political aspect. Um, but I, it's just such a mistake. Like again, and it's just people pitting each other against one another and which is just, just no good service at all. Um, and so I think that was the largest stereotype, like, oh, Ella, like, it, it's going to be so unsafe or, you know, be careful what you say and just kind of like a, a stereotype of fear or just just danger. And it was just so not that. I mean, I went to get um, like a gym membership on um, one of the first days because I decided I was going to become a runner. And so I'm there. I really can't speak any Chinese still. I'm heavily relying on um, like Bing Translate because there's no Google Translate. <laughs> um, and so I am there, I'm like at the gym and there's kind of a, a young girl and she didn't really speak perfect English either. Like it was a little hard to communicate, but I had to go to an ATM to get the cash to you know, buy the gym pass. And she walked me there. Like she was just like really looked out for me and, you know, made sure that, you know, I would be safe. And, um, like my host grandfather, the first couple of weeks of school, he walked me to school every single day. Um, there's just a lot more. Um, I, I just, I don't think people in the U S would do that for 
some like if, if there was if you had the same scenario a gym in the u.s I, I don't think whoever's working at the desk there is walking maybe this exchange student to make sure they're safe and they're okay um something that i, I just really appreciated from the time there was how much um everyone i kind of interacted with valued the relationships in their life like their family the people around them um just things with long-term value. I mean, I don't know, just like the kind of the older architecture um, or just lived life with more purpose. I think just on the whole was one of my takeaways compared to the life I see in the U.S. It was just like, we're going to eat good food. We're going to cook food. Um, we're going to look after ourselves. Um, and I, I'm so grateful to still kind of keep in touch with like the, the older woman I tutored, my host family, my teachers. Um, so yeah, like that's not a stereotype that gets talked about, but it's just a lot more purposeful action is what what I experienced. Oh, I love to hear that because there's so <laughs> there's there's um I, I get it. When you're when you're not familiar with something, it's easy to draw stereotypes from what you are exposed to. Um and a lot of it in Western society were anywhere outside of China is very political. It can be very political. Um and so many more layers besides that, right? There's the history of it, there's the culture, there's the food and the people, and there's so many things that um, goes into the formation of, of culture and it's not just politics. Um, and not everything has to be about politics. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, I'm so sick of it. Um, I, I think also another really large piece was, um, I don't know if self-determination is the right word, but there was such a greater appreciation for kind of just respect generally and education. So like in the U.S., like people would talk during class or not raise their hands or not really respect the teacher. But in China, so I was in Beijing, like education is so, and you can definitely speak to this, but education is so, so central. Um, I think kind of on every person's mind, like my host family was telling me they moved like houses to be in a better school district for my host sisters and just how competitive it is to get into different schools and how much respect people have for education and for actually like doing the work. Like so many students, I think maybe in the U S oh, there's many problems with the education system here, but um, you know, maybe don't respect the teachers as much or don't respect the educational opportunities they have. Um, but that was just, that was not the case that I saw in Beijing. Um, so yeah, I think it's just a general appreciation for things that actually matter and kind of doing your work as a human was just really something I took away. Yeah, on the average level, I would say like Chinese students are definitely very, very hardworking. And because I, I went through all of that and I, I went to public high school and uh, did all the uniform thing. And in my senior year, it was like Monday to Friday from like 7.30 a.m. Like you go to school at like 7.30 and then it goes until like 6.30. And then you go on Saturday too from like 7.30 to like 3. And my school was not even like hardcore when it comes to um, preparing for, for the big exam to go to university. Um, but even that, like I would go home and have dinner and just have a little bit of downtime and then write homework until like 10, yep. anywhere between like 12, 12 a.m. to like 2 a.m. And yep. then do the whole thing again. And in hindsight, it was like, I did I really do that? Did I really do that for for this this period of time? And I wasn't even like the most hardcore, hardworking student. Um, 
not even close. And and I I question myself these days. Can I can I still be that? Can I still put in the 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 discipline um, and time and effort into something that I'm working on? I think I think yes, um, because it's, when you are used to it at a very young age, it kind of stuck with you. The mentality of having to work hard, having to work towards something, and put in your best shot into something i think that's tremendously valuable but i i don't think it's it's entirely healthy to go about that route either um so there's definitely different trade-offs um but i guess for for us we can only grow up once in a way so <laughs> kind of have to take the grain of salt and have the best part and internalize it within us and um at the same time, not get traumatized by the same yeah. thing. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And I think um, also like for maybe any students that would be listening to this, like being a good student doesn't mean that you can sit at a desk for a long time and that you can follow a schedule like that. I think being a student is just kind of embracing curiosity and critical thinking and thinking for yourself. I think that's what determines a good student. And that can be if you're just walking around or like, it doesn't have to be just your ability to sit at a desk. Like everyone, if you're just like curious and learn and want to think critically and, and Bitcoin kind of, it, it teaches you how to do that. Yeah, totally. Totally. Oh, wow. Um, love your, <laughs> love your take. And I'm so, I'm very impressed how leveled you are um, at uh, this, this point in your life. Cause I know when I was, what third year university? Yeah. Of course, I wasn't a Bitcoiner. That's the first thing um, yeah. at the time, and I definitely wasn't thinking about all these things like you do today. Um, yeah. And I love how you're taking such a balanced view on Bitcoin in general, like Thank so you. holistic, because you're not thinking about it as justice, and that you're not thinking, oh, Bitcoin will just magically solve all of your problems. And I see plenty of Bitcoiners do that. Um, and I know it's hopeful, but it, I wouldn't say it's the entire equation. Um, so I really praise you on oh, your trajectory. I think you're doing great things to help bring Generation Z onto the Bitcoin standard. And I think you will have great success doing that. Um, and I can't wait to see what else you pull off um, in this space. And uh, how do we stay close to your work? Yes, um, Twitter is probably the best. Um, I have a link tree there with um, my website and blog and my Medium articles. Um, and yeah, that's kind of the, the best place to find me and, and all that's happening. Any final notes for the Live with Bitcoin audience? I know it, it's just been so nice to talk with you, Vivian. Thank you so much. And I think maybe just the last thing I was thinking about when you were saying um, like Bitcoin, it's, it's bigger than, than all of us. It's kind of just everyone can, can contribute to Bitcoin in, in any way, even if you think it's insignificant. Um, it's, yeah, it's just, it's, it's not, um, how do I phrase this best? I think Bitcoin just, it pulls out the best in all of us. Like it's, I think, you know, I'm nothing special, nothing great. I just trying to do my part. And I think Bitcoin just kind of without even your control, just pulls out, pulls out the best aspects of you. And so I'm grateful for it for that. But yeah, everyone has a place in Bitcoin, no matter what you're interested, what you're studying, what you think you contribute, like it's for everyone. And, and that's great. I would second that for sure. Thanks a lot, Ella, for joining us today. Um, if you like this episode, please like this video and subscribe to the channel. I'm your host, Vivian Chenay, and we'll see you in the next episode.